Chapter 7, Part 2 of the Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book 2, by William Blackstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roy Haynes. Of Freehold Estates of Inheritance, Part 2. Upon the construction of this Act of Parliament, the judges determined that the donee had no longer a conditional fee simple, which became absolute and at his own disposal the instant any issue was born. But they divided the estate into two parts, leaving in the donee a new kind of particular estate, which they denominated a fee tail, and vesting in the donor the ultimate fee simple of the land expectant on the failure of the issue, which expectant estate is what we now call a reversion. And hence it is that Littleton tells us that tenant in fetale is by virtue of the statute of Westminster II. Having thus shown the original of a state's tale, I now proceed to consider what things may or may not be entailed under the statute de donis. Tenements is the only word used in the statute, and this Sir Edward Coke expounds to comprehend all corporeal hereditaments whatsoever, and also all incorporeal hereditaments which favor of the realty, that is, which issue out of corporeal ones, or which concern, or are annexed to, or may be exercised within the same, as rents, estovers, commons, and the like. Also, offices and dignities which concern lands or have relation to fixed in certain places may be entailed but mere personal chattels which favor not at all of the realty cannot be entailed neither can an office which merely relates to such personal chattels nor an annuity which charges only the person and not the lands of the grantor but in them if granted to a man and the heirs of his body, the grantee hath still a fee conditional at common law, as before the statute, and by his alienation may bar the heir or reversioner. An estate to a man and his heirs for another's life cannot be entailed, for this is strictly no estate of inheritance, as will appear hereafter, and therefore not within the statute de donis. Neither can a copyhold estate be entailed by virtue of the statute, for that would tend to encroach upon and restrain the will of the Lord. But, by the special custom of the manor, a copyhold may be limited to the heirs of the body, for here the custom ascertains and interprets the Lord's will. Next, as to the several species of estate's tale and how they are respectively created. Estate's tale are either general or special. Tale general is where lands and tenements are given to one and the heirs of his body begotten, which is called tale general because how often soever such donee in tale be married, his issue in general by all and every such marriage is in successive order capable of inheriting the estate tale per forman doni. Tenant in tale special is where the gift is restrained to certain heirs of the donee's body, and does not go to all of them in general. And this may happen several ways. I shall instance in only one. 
as where lands and tenements are given to a man and the heirs of his body, on Mary, his now wife, to be begotten. Here no issue can inherit, but such special issue as is engendered between them two, not such as the husband may have by another wife, and therefore it is called special tale. And here we may observe that the words of inheritance to him and his heirs give him an estate in fee, but they being heirs to be by him begotten, this makes it a fee tale, and the person being also limited on whom such heirs shall be begotten, viz. Mary, his present wife, this makes it a fee tale special. Estates, in general and special tale, are farther diversified by the distinction of sexes in such entails, for both of them may be either entail male or tail female. As if lands be given to a man, and his heirs male of his body begotten, this is an estate entail male general. But if to a man, and the heirs female of his body, on his present wife begotten, this is an estate entail female special. And, in case of entail male, the heirs female shall never inherit, nor any derived from them. Nor, a converso, the heirs male, in case of a gift, entail female. Thus, if the doni entail male hath a daughter, who dies leaving a son, such grandson, in this case, cannot inherit the estate tail, for he cannot deduce his descent wholly by heirs male. And, as the heir male must convey his descent wholly by males, so must the heir female wholly by females. And therefore, if a man hath two estates tail, the one entail male and the other entail female, and he hath issue a daughter, which daughter hath issue a son, this grandson can succeed to neither of the estates, for he cannot convey his descent wholly in either the male or female line. As the word heirs is necessary to create a fee, so, in farther imitation of the strictness of the feudal donation, the word body, or some other words of procreation, are necessary to make it a fee tale and ascertain to what heirs in particular the fee is limited. If, therefore, either the words of inheritance or words of procreation be omitted, albeit the others are inserted in the grant, this will not make an estate tale. As, if the grant be to a man and his issue of his body, to a man and his seed, to a man and his children or offspring, all these are only estates for life, there wanting the words of inheritance, his heirs. So, on the other hand, a gift to a man and his heirs male or female is an estate in fee simple and not in fee tail, for there are no words to ascertain the body out of which they shall issue. Indeed, in last wills and testaments, wherein greater indulgence is allowed, an estate tale may be created by a devisee to a man and his seed, or to a man and his heirs male, or by other irregular modes of expression. There is still another species of entailed estates, now indeed grown out of use, yet still capable of subsisting in law, which are estates in libero maritagio, or frank marriage. These are defined to be where tenements are given by one man to another, together with a wife, who is the daughter or cousin of the donor, to hold in frank marriage. Now by such gift, 
though nothing but the word frank marriage is expressed, the donees shall have the tenements to them, and the heirs of their two bodies begotten, that is, they are tenants in special tale. For this one word, frank marriage, does ex vitermini, not only create an inheritance, like the word frankelmoin, but likewise limits that inheritance, supplying not only words of descent, but of procreation also. Such donees in frank marriage are liable to no service but fealty, for a rent received thereon is void until the fourth degree of consanguinity be passed between the issues of the donor and the donee. The incidents to a tenancy entail under the statute Westminster II are chiefly these. 1. That a tenant entail may commit waste on the estate tail by felling timber, pulling down houses, or the like, without being impeached or called to account for the same. 2. That the wife of the tenant entail shall have her dower, or thirds, of the estate tail. 3. That the husband of a female tenant entail may be tenant by the courtesy of the estate tail. 4. That an estate tail may be barred or destroyed by a fine, by a common recovery, or by lineal warranty descending with assets to the heir, all of which will hereafter be explained at large. Thus much for the nature of a state's tale, the establishment of which family law, as it is properly styled by Pigot, occasioned infinite difficulties and disputes. Children grew disobedient when they knew they could not be set aside. Farmers were ousted of their leases made by tenants in tale. For, if such leases had been valid, then, under cover of long leases, the issue might have been virtually disinherited. Creditors were defrauded of their debts. For, if tenant in tail could have charged his estate with their payment, he might also have defeated his issue, by mortgaging it for as much as it was worth. Innumerable latent entails were produced to deprive purchasers of the lands they had fairly bought of suits in consequence of which our ancient books are full, and treasons were encouraged. As a state's tale were not liable to forfeiture longer than the tenant's life, so that they were justly branded as the source of new conventions and mischiefs unknown to the common law, and almost universally considered as the common grievance of the realm. But, as the nobility were always fond of this statute, because it preserved their family estates from forfeiture, there was little hopes of procuring a repeal by the legislature, and therefore, by the connivance of an active and politic prince, a method was devised to evade it. About two hundred years intervened between the making of the statute de donis and the application of common recoveries to this intent in the twelfth year of Edward the Fourth which were then openly declared by the judges to be a sufficient bar of an estate tale. For though the courts had, so long before as the reign of Edward III, very frequently hinted their opinion that a bar might be effected upon these principles, yet it never was carried into execution. Till, Edward IV observing, in the disputes between the houses of York and Lancaster, how little effect attainders for treason had on families, whole classes were protected by sanctuary of entails, 
gave his countenance to this proceeding and suffered Tautarum's case to be brought before the court, wherein, in consequence of the principles then laid down, it was in effect determined that a common recovery suffered by tenant in tail should be an effectual destruction thereof. What common recoveries are, both in their nature and consequences, and why they are allowed to be a bar to the estate tail, must be reserved to a subsequent inquiry. At present, I shall only say that they are fictitious proceedings introduced by a kind of pia fraus to elude the statute de donis, which was found so intolerably mischievous, and which yet one branch of the legislature would not then consent to repeal, and that these recoveries, however clandestinely begun, are now become, by long use and acquiescence, a most common assurance of lands, and are looked upon as the legal mode of conveyance by which tenant and tail may dispose of his lands and tenements, so that no court will suffer them to be shaken or reflected on, and even acts of parliament have by a side wind countenanced and established them. This expedient, having greatly abridged a state's tale with regard to their duration, others were soon invented to strip them of other privileges. The next that was attacked was their freedom from forfeitures for treason. For, notwithstanding the large advances made by recoveries in the compass of about threescore years, towards unfettering these inheritances and thereby subjecting the lands to forfeiture, the rapacious prince then reigning, finding them frequently resettled in a familiar manner to suit the convenience of families, had address enough to procure a statute, whereby all estates of inheritance, under which general words a state's tale were covertly included, are declared to be forfeited to the king upon any conviction of high treason. The next attack which they suffered, in order of time, was by the statute 32 Henry VIII C. 28, whereby certain leases made by tenants in tail, which do not tend to the prejudice of the issue, were allowed to be good in law and to bind the issue in tail. But they received a more violent blow, in the same session of Parliament, by the construction put upon the statute of fines by the statute 32 Henry VIII C. 36, which declares a fine duly levied by tenant in tail to be a complete bar to him and his heirs and all other persons claiming under such entail. This was evidently agreeable to the intention of Henry VII, whose policy it was, before common recoveries had obtained their full strength and authority, to lay the road as open as possible to the alienation of landed property in order to weaken the overgrown power of his nobles. But as they, from the opposite reasons, were not easily brought to consent to such a provision, it was therefore couched in his act under covert and obscure expressions. And the judges, though willing to construe that statute as favorably as possible for the defeating of entailed estates, yet hesitated at giving fines so extensive a power by mere implication when the statute Edonis had expressly declared that they should not be a bar to a state's tale. But the statute of Henry VIII, when the doctrine of alienation was better received and the will of the prince more implicitly obeyed than before, avowed and established that intention. Yet, 
in order to preserve the property of the crown from any danger of infringement, all estates tail created by the crown and of which the crown has reversion are accepted out of this statute. And the same was done with regard to common recoveries by the statute 34 and 35 Henry VIII C20, which enacts that no feigned recovery had against the tenants in tail where the estate was created by the crown and the remainder or reversion continues still in the crown, shall be of any force or effect, which is allowing, indirectly and collaterally, their full force and effect with respect to ordinary estates tail, where the royal prerogative is not concerned. Lastly, by a statute of the succeeding year, all estates tail are rendered liable to be charged for payment of debts due to the king by record or special contract, as, since, by the bankrupt laws, they are also subjected to be sold for the debts contracted by a bankrupt, and, by the construction put upon the statute 43 Elizabeth C4, an appointment by tenant in tail of the lands in tail to a charitable use is good without fine or recovery. The state's tail, being thus by degrees unfettered, are now reduced again to almost the same state even before the issue born as conditional fees were in at common law after the condition was performed by the birth of issue. Or, first, the tenant in tail is now enabled to alien his lands and tenements by fine, by recovery, or by certain other means, and thereby to defeat the interest as well of his own issue, though unborn, as also of the reversioner, except in the case of the crown. Secondly, he is now liable to forfeit them for high treason. And lastly, he may charge them with reasonable leases, and also with such of his debts as are due to the crown on specialties, or have been contracted with his fellow subjects in a course of extensive commerce. End of chapter 7, part 2